What are we discussing on today's podcast, you ask? Well, we got to discuss what went right, what went wrong against the Miami Marlins, and then do a little preview for the series against the St. Louis Cardinals, all on today's Locked on Diamondbacks podcast. You are Locked on Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Diebacks Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Ultimate Baseball GM. Ever dreamed of becoming an becoming a MLB GM and managing your baseball franchise, then this game is definitely for you to download the game. Just visit ultimatebaseballgm.com or look it up on app stores. Our listeners get a hundred percent free boost to their franchise when using the promo code locked on all caps in the game. I'm Miller Thomas, host of this wonderful podcast, multimedia journalist, and I'm a graphic designer. So please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. I'm there you can see all my latest work, from my packages to my articles to my photos, and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account, or just look up Locked on Dimebacks about Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms. So please continue to tell your friends. And one of those platforms is YouTube. So please hit subscribe on the Locked on Diamondbacks YouTube channel. But for today's podcast, let's first talk about the good and the bad from the series against the Miami Marlins because the D-backs lose their first series of the year to the Marlins and the D-back offense didn't exactly come alive because you look at game one, D-back score one run, D-back score two in game two. Now they did come alive a little bit in the finale by scoring five runs, but in total, eight runs in three games is not going to win you many series if you're the Arizona Diamondbacks and the pitching wasn't too bad in this series. Ryan Nelson was good. Zach Gallon was great. You really just needed your offense to step up a little bit more, specifically maybe that game two against the Miami Marlins because that felt like a very winnable game. But D-backs lose their first series of the year, but it's okay because the D-backs still sit in first place. They are 9-7 and seven on the season, and maybe you would have wanted to take two out of three against the Miami Marlins, but the Dodgers are sitting at 500 in the NL West at the time of me recording this. The Padres are below 500, so the D-backs are still sitting pretty in the NL West standings. Definitely not running away with the division at all. Still very early, still a super small sample size, but so far... D-backs have shown resilience, and this could have been a series maybe where the D-backs roll over, get swept, maybe last year's team or the year before get swept by this Miami Marlins team after not doing much, not doing too much offensively the first two games and you're pitching looking good, but not good enough to win the series. Maybe this is a series where the D-backs roll over in game three if this is last year's squad, but D-backs really show their resilience in game three in the series finale and are able to at least take a victory off the Miami Marlins and I would love to talk about this series with Peter Pratt but he lives in the UK and it's kind of tough to do crossovers with him so need to get him on a podcast one of these days to talk D-backs versus Marlins I mean there's so much history there with the Jazz Chisholms and the Zach Gallons of the world that we need to do a podcast one of these days but 
Let's first talk about the good from this series, D-backs versus Marlins. The first good that I want to talk about is Zach Gallen, who once again just looks like he's back. Back-to-back starts now where Zach Gallen just looked completely locked in. He's just striking out dudes left and right. He's a little, He looks like he's in complete control of the game, and whenever there's two strikes in the pitch count, I just feel like Zach Gallen is going to come through with a put-away pitch and rack up the Ks. Another seven-strikeout performance for Zach Gallen, who has just looked phenomenal the last two starts. And now he's got 13.2 innings pitch without an earned run. Can I hear new scoreless streak alert? And I'm hoping to go to the game on Saturday to get me a commemorate Zach Gallen bobblehead to show and display that scoreless inning streak that Zach Allen had last season. So I'm hoping to get one of those bobbleheads. Zach Allen, as we've been talked about, as we've been talking about on this podcast recently, he's been going a little bit more curveball than fastball in his most recent start. We really saw a big turn of Zach Allen using the curveball as his primary pitch. But back in this game, Zach Allen was back to using the fastball as his primary put away pitch 51% of the time he threw a fastball and the most important thing I think coming out of this game is his fastball velocity was up just a little bit around a half mile an hour tick up on velocity on that fastball so you really like to see that Zach Allen back-to-back starts where he looks like the Zach Allen that I predicted could win a Cy Young entering the season if we get this Zach Allen back if this is a Zach Allen that we're getting going forward in the D-backs at least every fifth day we'll have a reset will there have someone on the mound he can at least count on to maybe put up two earned runs or less at least give you a quality start you'll you'll, you'll know every fifth day you're at least going to have a chance to win the ball game so Happy to see that Zach Allen is back to looking like himself through two starts. Second, good thing, positive takeaway that I had from the series, Corbin Carroll looks like he's coming around the corner and turning up because he had a hit in every game this series. I think as the season progresses, as the season goes along, Corbin Carroll looks like he's going to get better and better, and it feels like with every series, Corbin Carroll is getting better because the rookie of the year competition is kind of stiff. Jordan Walker has, what, a hit in every game he's played in to start this season, Um, at least in his first 13 games, at least I believe he's had a hit in every game. So the rookie of the year race is going to be tight in the National League. There's probably some other contenders as well that I'm forgetting about, but Corbin Carroll himself is looking like someone that is completely locked in and is going to be in the race until the very end. He's currently on pace I believe for a 40 home run 60 stolen base season which is absolutely insane if he was able to reach those marks as a rookie currently has six stolen bases on the year after getting another stolen base in the first game of this series and then he hit a home run in the sixth inning on Sunday for his fourth home run of the year that's where you can look at the numbers and say he's on pace for a 40-60 season. I doubt that he gets... I feel like he's more likely to get 60 stolen bases than 40 home runs because I think with Corbin Carroll, whenever he does hit a home run, you watch it. Like, just go watch the replay of Sunday's home run for Corbin Carroll. Like, you look at a swing. Just from the swing before the camera pans, it looks like it's probably a pop-up to center. Doesn't look like there's a ton of torque. Doesn't look like he barrels the ball. He just... Turn on the sound and then close your eyes and listen to it. It doesn't sound like a home run. It doesn't sound like a ball that's crushed. But as soon as the camera pans, you're like, damn, that's over 400 feet to dead center. Like, that's been a couple of Corbin Carroll home runs this year where it's like, he doesn't get the barrel to the ball. From the swing, it looks like it's a pop-up. From the sound, it sounds like a pop-up. Like, it looks like a duck, sounds like a duck. And then you see the camera pan and it's a freaking 
I don't know, what would be the the equivalent of uh, what's the upgrade of a duck? Like a a hawk, an eagle? Like you think it's a duck and it's really an eagle flying over a vulture? I don't know, but that's Corbin Carroll's home runs because it looks like a fly ball, it sounds like a fly ball, and then the ball keeps traveling and it goes over 400 feet to dead center. Corbin Carroll has insane power in that compact frame he has. And then the last thing that's a positive takeaway take that I want to talk about is Ryan Nelson, who just seems to get better with every start. Like a Corbin Carroll, I have a little bit more confidence in Ryan Nelson with every start he has, and I thought he looked really good in game two. He went six innings, one earned run, five hits, and Ryan Nelson in that start went a little bit more fastball, cutter heavy. The Marlins were very righty heavy in terms of a lineup, so he was mostly throwing to the inside of righties with that fastball cutter combination. It was working very nicely. Those were his two primary pitches that he threw in game two. And he just seems to get better at every start. Seems to get a little bit more confidence with every start. The velocity is not ticking up in the direction that I wanted to with every start. But I think his secondary pitches and his off-speed pitches are getting slightly better with every start that he has. Even though his fastball might not getting better, his other pitches are getting better, which is pretty important. You could definitely see the work paying off with the Brent Strom. So Ryan Nelson is definitely someone that I still like, still someone that I consider a potential building block in the rotation. Do I think he's maybe a number two starter in Major League Baseball? Probably not, but I do. I think he could be a highly effective, above average mid-rotation guy. Yeah, I definitely think that. And as the season goes on, like we'll see how he ends up. And like I said, this NL Rookie of the Year race is going to be tough. Don't forget, Ryan Nelson's a rookie, so you could have Ryan Nelson, Ryan Nelson and Corbin Carroll fighting for that Rookie of the Year race. It sounds like Zach Davies might miss a few weeks. Dre Jamison's in that rotation. Like It's quite possible. I said before the beginning of the year, the D-backs were going to have multiple rookies in the top five of the Rookie of the Year voting. And if this is the rotation that we keep getting for most of the season with a Corbin Carroll, I wouldn't be surprised if the D-backs have three of the top five rookies in the NL Rookie of the Year race. And if that's true, that means it's ultimate, that means it's awesome, not ultimate, awesome team building by Mike Hazen. And if you want to build your own team because you fantasize about being an MLB GM as you grew up in life, then you need to download the Pro Baseball GM app because Pro Baseball GM is the coolest game I've played in a long time. I've always thought I could be a great Major League GM, and as it turns out, it's not all that easy. If you've had the same thought and have fantasized about managing your own franchise, go and download Pro Baseball GM immediately. The game allows you to manage every strategic aspect of a franchise play through seasons, and lead your franchise and fans to glory as you build a historic dynasty. In this simulation, you're responsible for hiring the right coaches and staff, managing team finances, scouting and drafting players, managing through difficult personalities and injuries, navigating your franchise through free agency, and all the ups and downs of a season. All this in a challenging and realistic game world. Ultimate Baseball GM is completely free and playable offline. Play on the go as you want and when you want to. Right now, I'm playing against all my other Locked On hosts, and it's such a great time because I am kicking their asses, and we're doing this for prizes, and it's validating my ego as the most knowledgeable 
baseball hosts in the Locked On community. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. So Locked On Dimebacks listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code Locked On in the game store. So go make sure you check it out. To download the game, just visit ProBaseballGM.com, scan the code, or look it up on the App Store. That's ProBaseballGM.com, Ultimate Baseball GM. Start your dynasty today. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the podcast and let's maybe discuss some things that we didn't like from this series because whenever you lose a series, it's a little bit tougher to find things that you like versus dislike. But I do think this was a pretty close-knit series overall. I do think this was a little bit of a coin flip series that the Miami Marlins won. So some series, I have some more bad than good, like we always talk about. There's definitely games where there's more bad than good. But for this series overall, I do think it's pretty even with the good and the bad because I do think this was a coin flip series. And coming into the year, I would have told you the D-backs were better than the Marlins. But I do think this was, I do think entering the year at the same time, even though I do think the D-backs were slightly better than the Marlins, I also think these were two teams that were two sides of the same coin because I thought the D-backs were a young and upcoming team, maybe with a little bit more depth and talent than the, than the Marlins had. But the Marlins had an elite rotation, elite pitching, and maybe they didn't have the offensive studs that maybe a D-backs had, at least in terms of depth. I don't think the Marlins had a lot of depth, but they did have Jazz Chisholm and Luis Arias. I think both teams are moving in the right direction, and both teams could have ended up with 80-something wins this season. So I do think both of those teams were similar in terms of their overall ceiling entering the season. So I don't think it's too surprising that the Marlins ended up winning this series against the D-backs and the series being so close because I do think these two teams are very close in reality. And when you look at the bad, maybe the D-backs could have been the Marlins in this series if they didn't have a Madison Bumgarner in their rotation because my big issue with Mad Bum is it feels like the D-backs are putting a guy out there every fifth day where you're basically, essentially, spotting the opposing team, what, two, two and a half runs every game? And if the D-backs ever want to become serious contenders, maybe not World Series contenders, but at least postseason wildcard contenders, they're never going to get there with Mad Bum in the rotation because he is just such a hindrance and it just hurts so much because I want to see this D-backs team be good. I want to see this D-backs team prosper. And I do think this is a team that's good enough to potentially make a wild card this season. And I wouldn't picking, uh, you know, before the season, I wasn't picking this team to make the wild card. And I'm still not picking this team right now to make the wild card. But do I think they have enough talent to be a wild card team this year? I do, but I don't think this team can be a wild card team if Madison Bumgarner is making 28 starts because basically every one of those 28 starts, you're just starting in a deficit. You're starting in a hole. You're giving the opposing team a head start. And I just feel like it's so tough to win a Madison Bumgarner start the only days you're winning a Mad Bum start is when the D-backs offense is putting up like seven runs, and you can't count that on every Mad Bum start. He's going to need great run support this season because it was another start where Mad Bum gave up five earned runs over five innings pitch, nine hits, and it's just never going to get pretty. There's just nothing Brent Strom could do. There's nothing Tori Lovello could do. There's nothing anyone could do to make Mad Bum pitch 
better. There's nothing a Mad Bump could do to pitch better because the velocity is never going to come back on his pitches. The break is never going to come back on his curveballs. And Mad Bump is never going to come back to the level he was before when he was on the mound for Game 7, the World Series, arms in the air, winning that thing. And just feeling good in San Francisco. I don't ever think we're going to get that pitcher back in a D-back uniform. And a couple more years of paying mad bum. So hopefully we can endure this and get through it. And then on the other side, the D-backs will look like World Series contenders. Maybe the D-backs can somehow trade him this season at the deadline. But I honestly think the best case scenario, if the D-backs want to be legit, wild card potential wild card contenders this year you have to find a way to convince Matt Bump to go into the bullpen and then your rotation of Gallon, Kelly, Jameson, Ryan Nelson, Zach Davies that's the best rotation you can have for winning ball games this season. D-backs how about this for my second negative takeaway of this series D-backs offense not getting on base. The D-backs offense just wasn't doing enough this series. They had, if you could believe this, four walks just through three games of this series, which is crazy to think about. And the D-backs best offensive game was, of course, Sunday. And they drew zero walks on Sunday. They had 11 strikeouts. Excuse me, zero walks on Sunday, which is crazy to think about. And this D-backs offense on a whole this season, we know they've been wreaking havoc on the bases, but they usually get on base through base hits. Feels like the D-backs offense doesn't do enough to get on base through the walk. And if you look at last year in 2020, I think this was one the this D-backs team was really good in terms of seeing pitches per plate appearance. It felt like this was a very patient team and feel like this team this year is still patient because they don't strike out a lot, but they just don't turn their patience into walks. And I would like to see a few more walks drawn by this offense because they're still one of the league leaders and stolen bases. They're still one of the nasty teams when it comes to the extra base taking percentage and what they can do on the bases is just nasty. The D-backs only had one stolen base. This is only had one stolen base this entire series. So D-backs moving forward need to do more to manufacture runs. They've been playing small They've been playing small ball. They've been doing the bunts, but they need to do more to draw walks. Offense has done a good job of like getting base hits, but if I could get base hits mixed in with walks drawn, then this offense can get to another level because they're only four for 16 or runners in scoring position this series. So they weren't doing a lot when they had runners in scoring position. And I think 16 chances were runners in scoring position isn't enough either. So D-backs need to do a little bit more when they're on the bases and just getting on the bases. And then the last negative takeaway that I had from this series, it just Scott McGuff who... His fastball just ain't fooling anybody right now. Gave up a couple earned runs in game two, and he was the reason the D-backs lost. He's another Mike Hazen offseason reliever signee who is just not worked out, and he's just added to the list of the last few years of offseason back-end relievers that just not worked out in the Mike Hazen era from the Hector Rondones to the Junior Guerreras to the Chris Davinskys to the Tyler Clippers and the Joaquin Sorias and the... Oliver Perez's, and there's name after name after name they could go down. I thought Scott McGuff might have been a little bit different because even though he hasn't been pitching in the majors in recent history, he has been crushing it overseas, and he was someone that had a nice arsenal, mid-90s fastball, and has been at least, when you think about his pitching arsenal, a different flavor than what the D-backs have thrown out there the last few years, but it hasn't mattered. He hasn't been that effective so far this season season for the D-backs and it feels like 
whenever Matt Bum is starting or McGough is coming out the bullpen, the D-backs are a disadvantage. So hopefully they can fix that and turn it around because I don't want another season where the bullpen is holding back the D-backs because that was the case last year. And I thought the D-backs could have potentially been an 80-win team if the bullpen was a little bit better last year. So hopefully for Mike Hazen, we can turn this around and maybe we don't throw a little bit. Well, maybe we keep Scott McGuff back and give some other dudes more opportunities because McGuff just hasn't been getting it done recently. And if you want an app that gets it done for you, then you need to download So Rare because our new sponsor, So Rare, is a revolutionary fantasy baseball game and marketplace transforming fans into owners with officially licensed digital cards featuring players from across all 30 MLB teams. Unlike other fantasy baseball platforms, So Rare managers truly own their fantasy experience, collecting, buying, selling, and competing with player cards against global opponents to win epic rewards. Win or lose, you still own your cards, and there's no cost to play. Plus, the more you win, the more you advance, collecting increasingly powerful cards and accessing next-level competition and rewards. So Rare. MLB game weeks happen twice weekly and span a three to four day cycle. At the end of game weeks, so rare, MLB managers who rank at or near the top of their leaderboards win a variety of rewards, which can include so rare scarcity cards, game tickets, merchandise, signed jerseys, and VIP experiences like meeting MLB stars. Prizes may vary depending on the competition. So head to SoRare.com slash LockedOn. That's spelled S-O-R-A-R-E.com to draft your team of free player cards, set your lineup, and start competing today to win epic rewards. Again, that's SoRare.com slash LockedOn to start playing today. And thanks for making Lockdown Dimax your first listen every day. Every dayers tomorrow on the show, listen to Locked On Dimebacks with Sully Baseball. Shout out to all my everydayers on the Locked On Dimebacks podcast. Now let's get back to the Locked on Dimebacks podcast and do a little preview for the next series for the D-backs because it's coming up next. The D-backs face off against the St. Louis Cardinals and of course face off against former face of the franchise Paul Goldschmidt who is also the reigning MVP and then don't forget they also got Nolan Arenado. <laughs> what did I say? Nolan Arenado who also finished top five in MVP voting, and I think he finished top three in MVP voting in this most recent season. So you could quite literally say the St. Louis Cardinals have two of the top three position players in all of baseball, at least off performances from this most recent season. So let's break down tomorrow's matchup of Merrill Kelly versus a Jack Flaherty because Merrill Kelly... In his career against the St. Louis Cardinals, 24 innings pitch, 9 earned runs, 22 Ks, 8 walks with 3-3-8 year race. So Merrill Kelly so far has been good in his career against the Cardinals. Has he been elite? Has he been overly dominant? No, but 3-3-8 year race, I think you would definitely take that over the course of a full season. So Merrill Kelly, if he can, keep up those numbers that he's done so far in his career against the Cardinals tomorrow and just give us a quality start. I think that would potentially be enough to set up 
a D-backs win against the Cardinals if they can, of course, score enough runs. The Cardinals are worse against right-handed pitchers as a team as opposed to left-handed pitchers. So Kelly has a built-in advantage in that situation. The Cardinals as a team is batting 262 with 740 OPS against righties. I think those numbers really skyrocket against lefties. So as long as the D-backs go go righty heavy with their pitching tomorrow, I think that will give them a slight advantage against this Cardinals team. And then on the other side, Got Jack Flaherty of the Cardinals going tomorrow, and he's someone, we'll just look at his last three seasons, basically since 2019. Hasn't pitched more than like 70 innings in a season because of injuries. He's someone in 2019 was like fourth in Cy Young voting, so he looked like one of the premier pitchers in baseball, and then he got hurt. He's looking good again this season. 13 13 innings pitch, four earned runs, 18 strikeouts, but the thing with Jack Flaherty, he has like 14 walks, I think, as well. Well, excuse me, those are his numbers against the D-backs in his career. 13 innings pitched, 4 earned runs, 18 walks to 3 strikeouts. So in his career, Jack Flaherty has only made 2 starts. But in those 2 starts, he has struck out a whole ton of D-backs. And if you look at his numbers this season, he's only given up 3 earned runs in 15.1 innings pitched. But the thing about Jack Flaherty, his command has been a little wayward. 14 walks allowed as well, which is the most through 3 starts of any starting pitcher in Major League Baseball. So he hasn't given up a ton of earned runs, but he's also walked a ton of guys. And we know for the D-backs, if you're going to be walking D-backs position players and putting them on the bases, then you're writing your own death warrant there. So hopefully Jack Flaherty can walk a whole bunch of D-backs position players. and Hopefully D-backs batters can be patient with Flaherty on the mound. Flaherty been elite against righties this season, so we're going to need the Christian Walkers, the Morenos, and the shortstops of the world to step up against Jack Flaherty to hopefully even off those numbers. And if you're curious about what Paul Goldschmidt has done this season, Paul Goldschmidt once again is off to a hot start. He's batting like over 300 with like over a 900 OPS. Like once again, he looks like one of the premier position players in all of baseball and. If you want to know about Goldie's numbers in his career against the D-backs, a 307 average and 963 OPS in his career against the D-backs. So this is someone that's quite familiar with this franchise, of course, and has crushed this franchise ever since they traded him for a package of peanuts. And the thing with Paul Goldschmidt is it doesn't matter if there's a righty or a lefty on the mound. He crushes both sides because Paul Goldschmidt has like a 300 average against righties and then like a 400 average against lefties. So it quite literally doesn't matter. Once you get to the bullpen, even if you're putting a lefty out there, Goldie's going to crush him either way. If you put a righty out there, Goldie's going to crush him either way. So it really doesn't matter what kind of pitcher you put on the mound. Goldie's probably going to crush him. And in terms of how the pitching breaks down for the series... I really like how the pitching breaks down because basically we get Merrill Kelly and Dre Jameson to pitch the first two games of the series against the St. Louis Cardinals. And then you're hopefully winning both of those games. That's being a little maybe overzealous and wish casting because you hope the D-backs can win the first two games of this series with Kelly and Dre Jameson. And then you'll concede that third game with Madison Bumgarner on the mound, of course, because against the San Diego Padres, that means you get to start that series with Ryan Nelson, Zach Gallen, and Merrill Kelly once again. You don't have to put a Madison Bumgarner out there against the San Diego Padres, so you could potentially get two out of three against the St. Louis Cardinals with two really good pitchers in this D-backs rotation. And then you're going to have three high-quality starters going against the San Diego Padres and Madison. Bum might be your only dilemma, but he goes 
in the series finale against the St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> Excuse me, I haven't trembled to talk because of my allergies at the end of this podcast. Madison Baumgartner goes in that series finale against the St. Louis Cardinals, and you hope by that time the D-backs already win the first two games of the series. Maybe that's a little bit too overzealous. Maybe we're wishcasting too much there, but that would be the perfect scenario for the next few games for the D-backs. Of course, nothing ever goes perfectly according to plan, but Mad Bum is just such a hindrance to this D-backs team. I'm just carefully keeping an eye on whenever he does start and when he starts a game because I think this is like the perfect time for Mad Bum to start in a series finale after your two best starters already go. Then he doesn't have to go against the tougher of the two teams in the San Diego Padres who always crush the D-backs and typically the San Diego Padres crush the D-backs because they always get at least one start against Madison Bumgarner. Thankfully in this next series with Fernando Tatis coming back, the D-backs don't have to put Matt Bum against the San Diego Padres. And with that being the case, maybe the D-backs can take down the San Diego Padres in the next series. But before we get there, the D-backs first have to take down the St. Louis Cardinals and former friend of the franchise, Paul Goldschmidt. Now that's it for this edition of the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. Come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. We'll be talking with Sully Baseball about some managers <clears throat> about some managers that could be on the hot seat. And maybe we'll take a look at some Free agents who signed this offseason and check in to see how they're doing with their new situations all on tomorrow's Locked on Dimebacks podcast. So thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. Make your second listen of the day the Locked on Fantasy Baseball podcast with podcast host Matt and Dom. We will keep you up to date with fantasy news, strategies, and analysis all season long. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy. Deuces.